Computer. Recording. Hit me. From Studio P, Sausalito, home of the hit, it's time for... Suckatash. The number one comedy podcast about comedy... Podcast. And here's your host, internationally recognized comedy podcast commentator, Mark Hershon. Yes, it's Mark Hershon, and welcome to Epi 53 of Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. This week, I'm stockpiling clips from comedy podcasts, which I will play next episode. That's Epi 54. That's because today, I'm going to run an interview I did with Matt Weinhold, who's a comedian and, well, actually, what he is, we discuss at the top of our chat. But he's also a podcaster, or more correctly, a podcast guest, who appears frequently on the Dana Gould Hour. He is also working on a fun concept for a new podcast, which we're going to get into in the back nine of our interview together. Before we get to that, we have other business to attend to. First, let's grab a look at the Stitcher Comedy Podcast list. Now, last week, we did the top 10, but I also looked at the bottom 10 of the top 100, and I got some favorable feedback to that because, well, quite frankly, there's a lot more activity at that end of the spectrum. This week, I'm going even more different. Is that is that a real phrase? More different? Using a suggestion by Ed Wallach of the Don't Quit Your Day Cast podcast. So without further ado... I'd like to present the 10 most active on the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast list. I think it needs a shorter title. At 14, Girl on Guy with Aisha Tyler, up 24 spaces. At 41, Bullseye with Jesse Thorne, up 14 spaces. At 46, Smodcast, down 101. How can it be down 101? There's only 100 spaces on the thing, right? I guess I have to do more research. At 52, The Onion Podcast, up 55 points. That's what they are. They're points. But what do they mean? I, I, I don't know. At 61, The David Feldman Show, down 26. 64 is Super Ego, up 85 points. They always go up when they finally release a show, because they only let one out like once every six or seven weeks. At 71, Alonzo Bowden, Who's Paying Attention, up 29. At 80, Sex Squad, up 13. At 91, Loveline, up 24. And at 99, uh, down 20 points, the Ricky Gervais podcast. Because he doesn't really put them out very often. So there you go. What do you think of that? Let me know. That was the 10 most active in the Stitcher Top 100 Comedy Podcast list. See, the things that got the most points, either up or down. It's a little confusing. And I'm sitting here reading it. Hmm, interesting. Okay, that was more fun than the stupid old top ten, though, right? Thanks a lot, Ed Wallach, from the Don't Quit Your Day Cast podcast for that suggestion. Next, in the corrections department, last week I played a clip from the Chill Pack Hollywood Hour, one of the first podcasts I ever listened to, sort of my gateway drug to the world of podcasts, if you will. And I mentioned that hosts Phil Nuffity Nufflerness and TV's Dean Haglin had been doing the show for over four years. My bad. Yes, it was over four years, but I did get verbally spanked on their show for not knowing it's actually been six years. That's right. Not only that, I incorrectly gave their website address. It's chillpackhollywood.com. As I mentioned last show, they still do have a MySpace page as well, though, and I don't know what the heck that's about. I do have a picture of Phil cradling one of our Succotash coffee mugs up on the blog at succotashshow.com. Uh, and they're both represented because it's Dean's logo design he did for Succotash on the mug. See, so it's both Dean and Phil sort of 
in that picture it's both meta and hyper at the same time. I'm told that my voicemail apology to them, because I, when I heard them say I screwed up how long they've been on doing their podcast, I called and left a message. Now apparently my voicemail message is going to be a special guest on their next episode of Chill Pack Hollywood Hour. And I just got word today that pre-production is underway on The Lady Killers, a new feature film by Phil, who's directing, and Dean, who's acting and producing. If you get a chance, check out their documentary that came out in the recent past. Notice I didn't say how long ago, because I don't want to get in trouble again. The Truth is Out There, which I really enjoyed and did a great review for it. Well, I did a review of how great it was. It wasn't a great review, but it was... Uh, never mind. Anyway, that's you can still find that on Huffington Post. I'm a guest this week on the latest Seven Days a Geek episode of Podcasting 101. The angry ginger and I chatted up about how simple it really is to kick off a show, how to figure out what a podcast should be about, and a bunch of other sort of inside baseball chatter about the world of podcasting. So how about a little teaser? I don't mind if we do. If I can listen to my podcast after I get it cut and produced, before I drop it, uh, I always find stuff that I go back in and edit just because there's always something to fix. There's a lot of people that don't even believe in editing. They just want to run their podcast. If it's an hour, they'll run the, you know, their recorder for an hour. Right. Whatever's on there, they'll put up there because they think, well, this is what a podcast is supposed to be, which can be true if that's if you think through what you want your podcast to be. Yeah, it could be that or it can be, you know, much better sounding depending how much effort you want to put into it. I think I think uh, good advice is at least do a quick sweep through. You know, listen to it. You know, tighten some stuff up in between. You know, your gaps and stuff. At least, at least do that. Don't don't leave everyone hanging in those you know dead air spaces and stuff like that. And the main reason to listen to it is to listen to it and you know find out how you sound. What is the perception of you through your own ears once you've finished the thing? Right. Uh, it, it's the same theory as you know co comedians that record their sets when they go up and they've got their tape recorder in the back of the room. I use the word tape recorder. <laughs> Talk about how old I am. Uh, but they've got their digital recorder or their iPhone or whatever it is that they're recording their set on. And again, probably 75% of the comics that record their sets never listen to the sets they record. Really? They just kind of do it as a matter of rote. And once in a while, they might listen to part of it. But the ones that really start being able to to refine their sound, I think, concentrate on that set. How do I sound? Where did I screw up? Right, you know? right. Uh, so I think it's important to listen to your to your own podcast and be very critical about it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's how you get better, too. Uh, it's the only way you get yep. better. You're not going to get better by listening, either reading reviews or having your friends tell you how it is. You've got to hear it with your own ears, I think, or you just can't make a value judgment. Right, right. So uh, that's that's one of the first questions I usually cover is, uh, you know, what got you into podcasting and, and why do you podcast? But uh, you kind of just moved into it from from working in radio so long then. Well, it had been a long time since I'd worked in radio, but I was uh, I've done improvisational comedy for 30 years. I've booked comedians. I've taught improv and um, I've helped other people do various types of productions, whether it's video or audio or whatnot. And I, I just I was kind of having the performance bug chewing away at me because of uh, my my day job, which I I'd sort of gone back to this company I hadn't been with for a while. Uh, I'd lost all my performance ability. I couldn't go out and do improv at night because I had to work all day. Right. So but, you know, once once you got that bug in you, it's got to get out. And so I spent about a year trying to think, what podcast do I want to do? Because I listen to a lot of podcasts. 
I said, well, where's there a gap? You know, you want to listen and you say, where is uh, a need not being filled, even if nobody knows it's a need? Right. And uh, I wanted to do a comedy podcast, but there seemed to be so many that covered the gamuts I would do, you know, pop culture, conversational, uh, sketch, improv, those sorts of things. Um, and then I realized by virtue of the fact that I'd been listening to all these podcasts to get an idea that the idea was right there in front of me, which is why don't I do a podcast that plays clips from other comedy podcasts? Right. And that's what it is. It's a sampler of what's out there in the internet. There, there's a whole lot more of me talking, my lips flapping and gum smacking all about podcasting along with the angry ginger. I want to thank him and, uh, his partners in crime for having me on that show. That's seven days a geek, their special podcasting one one feature. Find it now at seven days a geek.libson.com. It's up there right now. Hi, this is Rick Overton of the overview podcast on iTunes. And you're listening to Suckatash, the comedy podcast podcast. All right. It's time for the main event. I sat down with one of my favorite people in the world. When I was in LA weekend before last well, Matt and Weinhold and I, we actually sit down together whenever we get a chance to, but this time I also had my iRig recording app running. Matt's a genuinely funny person, and he makes me laugh really hard. We ended up at a coffee joint in L.A., which proved to be pretty challenging to record in. It wasn't that crowded, but it was really echoey. The guy behind the counter kept turning up the music and worked the equipment as hard as he could, so apologies for where it gets a little hard to hear this conversation. Just think of it as the ambient delight that is the coffee fix in Los Angeles. Now I'm going to take a break along the way for our tweet sack. We also have our burst of durst at the far end of the show. And after that, to play us out, I've got a little timely comedy ditty by friend of Succotash, Chet Haas. Just to give you some of Matt's many credits, which we don't really get around to talking about in the interview, he was a writer and voice actor for MTV's The Super Adventure Team, a writer and co-creator with Greg Proops on The Amazing Colossal Show. He appeared in the Star Trek documentary Trekkies. He's written on tons of TV, including BBC's The Nerdist, Style Network's The Dish, and he used to be part of the Fashion Police commentary team for U.S. Magazine. There's a whole lot more stuff he's done. You can check him out on imdb.com. You can go to mattweinhold.com. Uh, but anyway, that's enough of me talking. Go interview. Go. This is uh, this is uh, Mark Hershon from Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast, coming to you live. No, it's not live. It's not even live. Uh, it's live when we're doing it. Live. So when they hear it, it's live-ish. Yeah, live-ish. Uh, uh, I'm with Matt Weinhold. We are at Coffee Fix in Studio City. And uh, Matt Weinhold is a comedian, <laughs> comma. <laughs> uh, he's a writer. Question mark. <laughs> he's a writer. Ellipses. And well, how how do you, if somebody says Matt, what what do you do? What, what's your lead in terms of what you do? What's the first thing you tell people? Uh, I'm an entertainer. Okay. You know, and uh, that. Uh, that comes out in different, uh, various forms. Uh, I did stand-up for a very, very, very long time. And, uh, now I do more writing than I do stand-up. Mm -hmm. But, uh, I'm at the place now where I think I would like to do some stand-up again. Okay. Because, you know me, I love people. You, you are a people person. <laughs> uh, in fact, when, when that comes up, you know, I wrote the book, I Hate People. And uh, when I think of that, I go, Matt must really dislike that because you love people so much. Yeah, you know, that's that was really the wonderful part about stand-up is 
getting up at five in the morning, getting on a plane, flying to some strip mall in the Midwest, and staring into the blank eyes of people I have nothing in common with. <laughs> and now you're champing at the bit to get back out there again. Well, now I, I think I'm going to do it around here, where you, you know, you do five minutes, get out, yeah, get to go home, <laughs> have some toast, oh. and then hit the hay. <laughs> Uh, Matt and I became acquainted initially in San Francisco, where we were working on opposite sides of the comedy equation. Matt was performing, I was booking shows. That's right, yeah. Um, natural enemies, if you will, and yet somehow yeah. we overcame that adversity. Yeah, I remember when uh, you saw my act uh, and in the hopes of you know maybe booking me, uh, the, the next day I called you. And I believe your words were, I'm afraid to say, we will be booking you. <laughs> and I fell in love on that day. Uh, it's funny, uh, I run into people that um, I've long forgotten, like, uh, I think Fred Anderson is a guy, the juggler. Oh, yeah, Fred, Fred Anderson. And the great Scott. Yes, but Fred Anderson confronted me backstage at Comedy Day, this last Comedy Day. And sort of reintroduced himself to me. I had a dim mm -hmm. recollection. I right. hadn't seen him in 30 years or something yeah. like that. And he says he always remembers when I unbooked him from a gig because we either, it was the wrong show balance or something. He's held that this wow. whole time. Uh, and to me, it was just, I'm just trying to put a show together. And he was hidden booked, and then he ended up with a headliner that just. It may have been a juggler or something. It's like, well, we can't have two jugglers on the same bill. It just right, doesn't make yeah. sense, you know. But whatever the reason was, he just always carried that with him. It's amazing the little balls of hate that people hold on to that they shine as yeah, if like, they're golem, you know. Yes. Yes. Shine. Wrong balance. Oh man. Oh, but anyway, so. Um, that was uh, in the uh, the heady heydays of uh, the comedy scene in San Francisco, really. I mean, in sort of mid-80s, I'm going to yeah, say. Yeah, right? yeah. Uh, when did you first set foot on stage? I don't remember exactly, but I know it was, like, I did a bunch, of, I did a couple sets and then didn't want to do it and then got back into it, like, really wanting to pursue it. But, like, the first time was at the other cafe mm -hmm. and it had to have been... God, I don't know. Maybe eighty-two or something like that. Uh huh. And uh, it was—I always loved that place. That was always my favorite club. A lot of people, yeah. A lot of people have a lot of love yeah. for the old other cafe, which was a great eclectic place to yeah. do your stuff. It was a strange environment. Strange environment, um, kind of a nice little kind of hippie-ish mainstream crowd mm -hmm. that you know they would go with whatever. Yeah. And. Uh, and yeah, it was always a f they they always did like these theme shows. Right. They do sketch shows. They do comedy. They do stand up. This is the first time I ever saw um, Bobcat Goldthwait. Yeah, and um, yeah, I, I really really loved that place, and it was always felt loose and kind of like home. And I, I enjoyed the the punchline was really great too. But it's a different vibe, you right? Know? More sort of a little more um, professional. Professional, yeah. That's yeah. a very good yeah. very good word for it. Um. And so you uh, you climbed the rungs uh, from sort of open micer to MC to feature. 
uh, and eventually headlined mm -hmm. yeah. uh, in the in the Bay Area. But then uh, at, at a certain point, um, it was kind of time to tap out of the San Francisco, San Francisco market. And I guess it kind of, let's see, you, because you and I uh, definitively crossed paths when you moved to Los Angeles. That's right, yeah. <laughs> because uh, I was down here trying to produce a TV show and had rented an apartment, and I ran into you at the improv, and you had just been down here for, I think, like a week, a couple of days, you were, yeah. you were sleeping on your manager's couch or something? Something so like that, so you yeah. you find a place, yeah. I said, hey, I'm, I'm moving back to San Francisco, but I don't want to give up my apartment. So we split the rent, and you moved in, and kind of took over the main part of it, and I would sleep in the living room when I came down for... Interviews. It was the greatest deal for me <laughs> that I could have ever had. Uh, and it was a great deal for me because I got to hang yeah. on to my apartment. And uh, you moved in with about, I'm going to say, 3,000 roommates, if I'm not mistaken. With you. <laughs> and, well, yes. I, uh, my <laughs> army of plastic friends. Uh, and it was just... It was just that sounds dirty, I know. Because <laughs> I lived essentially... Sort of a monkish existence in that apartment. Uh, yeah, your your bedroom was like, you know, when when there's a a, a play and they strike the stage yes. and it's just the stage and it's one light bulb. Yes, <laughs> yeah. that was your bedroom. That's right. And then I came down after you'd moved in. And I go, okay, I got to come down. I got some some interviews or I'm pitching something, and the whole place was like wall to wall bookshelves with action figures and action figures and mm -hmm. some action figures. Yeah. It was great. It was fantastic. Because my theory was the more that I had, the more I'd get laid. So I had to keep, you know. It was like the Winchester Mystery House. Exactly. You had to keep yeah. adding to Ghosts the or you wouldn't, or you talk to me. Or go, you wouldn't get laid. Yeah. yeah. You want to close this deal. <laughs> we need that Chucky figure. <laughs> uh, so... Um, Which, of course, led to the joke about Daniel Koenig, right? Do you remember that one? <laughs> I don't. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, in my yes, act. Yes, I, yeah. Yeah. Well, you can recreate that here, because the listeners may not. Oh, that's right. Well, um, I, my manager also was managing Daniel Koenig, who was the daughter of Walter Koenig, uh, who played Chekhov in Star Trek. Like, I need to tell a podcast audience that. But, <laughs> um, she was, but I met her, and she was cute nice and and in my mind I'm thinking you know maybe I should ask her out you know maybe if I play this right we can go on a date back to my place who knows where it could lead but then I thought well wait a minute I've got an action figure of her dad on my shelf in my bedroom and if there's one thing that I think will fuck up a sexual encounter it has to be Looking up and seeing your dad peering down from you, <laughs> peering down at you from a shelf. Those beady little yeah, eyes. Yeah, as if it's saying, honey, get out of here. <laughs> this guy's a dork. I'm here. <laughs> Look, this guy, what, what can I tell you to get you out of here? Look, I've been in his ass. <laughs> Spock, talk to her. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. And, but, you know, it's funny, though, when it comes to... I've had people say, well, boy, this is, you know, do people come into your place? Because, I, I mean, I do... I did... Right now, I have, with my wife, in our condominium, I have a room where it's mostly concentrated. There's right. stuff that kind of leaks out, but... <laughs> um, but, 
you know, back in those days, whatever space I had is where stuff went. Oh, so it was all over the place. Kitchen, yeah, the oven. Exactly. <laughs> those were the ones. I had, had a man those, on a raft. Those were the ones that had been, been bad. And they had to go in the oven. And you turn up the heat just a little bit. <laughs> That's where I would harden the stony um, outsides of Ben Grimm. <laughs> Uh, that's funny. Anyway, so you made that transition down to L.A., and what was that like in terms of what you thought was going to happen for you career-wise? I mean... Well, you was... Initially, every manager, and, and, and I think you say this to yourself, yeah, you're trying to reinforce this career path of that, like, I'm going to be... I'm going to do comedy, and then someone's going to see me, and I'll get an audition, and I'll eventually be on a sitcom, and that's just what we're all looking for. And, you know, I mean, it doesn't always work that way for everybody. What? <laughs> Guess what? <laughs> and so, but then you also realize, and one of the things that I really love about show business and um, Los Angeles in general is the fact that there are so many different jobs. There's so many things you can do. And you realize, oh, I don't have to be the star of my own sitcom. I can be on, I can guest on sitcoms. I can create my own thing and put it on, you know, have my podcast or do, uh, write on a show. And, and there was a show that I worked on called The Dish that was for Style Network. And that was great because I got to write stuff, got to hang out with people who are funny and laugh. And, and then they'd also, uh, put me in the sketches too. I was like, this is great. Yeah. And every week I'm making TV. And so, yeah, you get to a point where you realize, also, that you have control of your own career. You know, there's something about the idea that we all think that we have to get on a show and that all our our happiness and our career is in somebody else's hands, where you get to a point where you go, well, I'll create my own stuff, and that'll get people to pay attention to me as opposed to, you know, chasing after this nebulous thing that I'm not even sure I want. Yeah, so... You, you've got to sort of explore that as a sort of your journey into Los Angeles, doing different things, going out to interview to be on shows, right. that sort of thing. Um, and you're still in Los Angeles, so clearly uh, you're comfortable here with I where, love that, it. where that journey has taken you. And it, it, I'm sure it will piss off anybody who lives in San Francisco, but that's where I started. I now live in Los Angeles. I love Los Angeles. I would never want to live back in San Francisco. Um, not that San Francisco is a horrible place or anything like that, but it's uh, it's it's just that I'm I'm a giant movie buff. I've met some of the nicest people that I've ever met in this town, and uh, it's, it's that's something being blended behind the counter. We didn't count on this. Uh, that's someone from San Francisco <laughs> trying to drown me out right now. <laughs> But it was always weird, too, that I'd go, I'd move to L.A., and then I'd go back to San Francisco, and I'd say, oh, yeah, I live in Los Angeles now. And they go, oh, I'm sorry. Right. right and right. I, I, it's sort of so strange that, like, you just insulted where I live. Like, why is that okay? I thought, isn't San Francisco supposed to be, like, the open-minded, you know, ex we accept any kind of lifestyle and living, except if you live in Los, Los Angeles. Angeles. Yes. No, and, I, I, and I never even understood where that anger came from. And I hear things like, you know, they hate the Dodgers. Like, really? That's your reason. <laughs> uh, I, I, 
uh, game that children play, and that's why you're mad. Okay. Or the, you know, they're stealing our water. Yes, that's what we're doing. You guys get, you never get any water in San Francisco. I was thirsty for 27 years. And the, and the people who live in San Francisco perceive that it's a rivalry. That the people in LA also don't like the people from San Francisco. No, but they love it. Of course. Every time you bring them up San Francisco, they go, oh, I had the most wonderful time. The restaurants are so great. And yeah, so I got tired of that. But but again, if you're, if you're a movie freak here, this is, it's, a, it's like a dreamland. Yeah. And I would go to these screenings at the Egyptian Theater on Hollywood. Uh, and there was one screening where they had, they played. Plan of the Apes, and Charlton Heston was there to speak. And I think he was on the edge of the dementia thing because he was citing a lot of facts that weren't true at all. <laughs> that, like, you know, Rod Serling died before the movie came out. And like, no, but it's, you know, but still this is glorious. Of course. And, and that's why I love this town. Every time I'm at a situation like that, I'm like, I pinch myself and I go, I can't believe this is happening. This would have never happened in San Francisco. <laughs> um, I'm curious, because you, you've not really been performing all that much uh, in recent years, does your comedy mind still look at things going on and construct bits, construct uh, material that could conceivably you know, be used on stage, even though at this stage you may or may not have an opportunity. Oh, to yeah, it. yeah. And I, 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 yeah, I mean, like when we get together, we joke around and, and like, I think that also in a lot of ways, it's actually made me uh, a better writer, better comedy writer by not having to do that, not having to have something, you know, not uh, this one type of audience judge me and that decides whether it's funny or not. Or, you know, depending on what, where I am in the country, or, I mean, you, you get tired of having to find that happy medium instead of just following your own comedic voice and being able to follow that. And I, I think by just being a writer and doing that more than the performing thing, it's, it's that when I do do stand up again, I think I'll be much better than I ever, I ever was before. Yeah. Um, there's clearly a, n a new generation of stand-ups that are out there now starting doing, you know, open mics mm -hmm. and one-nighters and things like that. Have you had much exposure to sort of the new, I'll call it the new scene, although it's just really sort of an extension of the old scene? But. Yeah, I mean, I, I, there's guys who, I don't know, I wouldn't exactly call them new now. Like, I, don't, I couldn't tell you who the, the open micers are, right, but, right. but, like, there's some guys that have come along in the recent years that I'm big fans of, like this guy Matt Bronger, who's mm -hmm. very, very funny, he's done Letterman, but uh, he was a guy I saw at UCB, and um, and that whole show was great, and uh, it just, it almost makes me at times wish, like, the 80s was a different time, <laughs> and uh, that there was a, there's a little bit more of a sort of a, the the comedy scene now here in LA is a little bit more of like well especially in the kind of I don't even like to say alternative but but I would just say good comedy yeah, yeah. that in that scene it's there's more of a latitude of letting you just kind of take chances and not necessarily do a stand-up routine yes you can just kind of be the funny that you are 
and that that scene sort of encourages that. And I think it was a little less that when I was starting out. It was a little more of like you got to be the you know the MC, and then you got to be featured, and you got to have your bits. And yeah. Well, or at least that's how I perceived it. And I, but well, San Francisco had such a element of having the comedy competition being well, this there's big that too. thing. Yes, and that's if very you good. You didn't have a tight act together. You you're, you couldn't be molded to be a contestant in it. It's like, well, I've got to be able to you know go long on this. Do this. no, you've got seven minutes, right? You know, right. Which, you know, from a certain standpoint, it's fine, uh, but it killed a lot of comics. It just you know they they wanted to do it because they get more exposure, but it wasn't the right medium. Yeah. For their act, you know? And also, to be fair, I mean, I, at that time, when I started comedy, I didn't, I didn't really know that much about comedy. I knew who George Carlin was and Pryor and, but I, you know, when I first started, I wanted to, I wanted to put on a costume and, you know, I mean, that, that's like a prop act made me how, I mean, if, when I first started out, it was very, my, my tastes weren't as sophisticated. As I hung around the comedians in the comedy scene, I, I started to learn and see, oh, my, wow, there's other ways that you can do comedy. You don't have to, it doesn't have to be this sort of rigidly defined thing. And, um, but, uh, and that's why uh, there are times where I kind of wish, like, well, I wish I would start now in this environment. I think I would have been a better comic. Interesting. Interesting. <coughs> some, some of my listeners may be familiar with your voice from your appearances on the Dana Gould show. Yeah. Um, and uh, you and Dana, well, you and Dana and I all go back to that exact same period we're talking about in the, the uh, mid-80s in San Francisco. And um, uh, Dana was the uh, officiant at your wedding, as a matter of fact. That's right. Um, so what what is the, the podcast experience like for you? I mean, uh, the majority of people I, that respond to my show, although I have you know regular civilians, I'll call them who listen, but I have a lot of podcasters who listen to the show because we feature clips from podcasts. Mm-hmm. So you get, most podcasters don't have time to really listen to other podcasts because it just takes so much damn right, time. Right. So my show is sort of a shortcut. Yeah. Uh, so they get a little taste of things. So what is your experience? Uh, well, let me ask about the experience of doing a podcast, and then I'll ask what your exposure to listening to podcasts is, but let's talk about what your experience is doing the podcast. Being a guest on one? Yeah. Or, yeah. yeah. Um, I've, I've always had a good time. I've always found it, you know, it, it's like a, it's like a good version of being on a radio show. Mm. There's no, you don't have to worry about sponsors or anything like that. It usually is a situation where you can just talk and, and kind of riff and, you know, you, most of the time you're on with a friend and so it just turns into a, just a bunch of people just joking around and talking about things and and uh, you know Dana has taken it and he also does produce pieces um, but I really love what he does with his show because it's a nice mixture of kind of theater mm-hmm. radio theater and your your standard podcast yeah and with him I mean he's just so funny and the people that he gets are usually people I've known for years and old friends of mine and it's it's very easy to just sit down and, and have a good time and from for, the minute it starts. For his show, does he say, here's what we're going to talk about today, and you've got a yeah. slate of subjects or one particular uh, subject? Usually there's a theme. And, you know, like, I think one of his was, like, you know, end, the end of the world. Mm-hmm. And usually what happens, like, with anything is that it gets, so this conversation gets sidetracked, and then that's 
funny and you know and how it all kind of winds back to that theme but um but yeah that's usually how it starts with him he has a theme and and he'll get it going he'll sort of you know sort of get it up to speed and then we start piping in but uh but yeah i've, I've always enjoyed his his uh, podcast, also Jack Cations, the Dork, Dork Forest, Forest is yes. great. I, I almost uh, had an interview with her yesterday, but she was scrambling to uh, do a bunch of stuff before she had to get out of town for a gig, so it didn't come together. Oh, okay, but, uh, okay. but she's just a lovely person and yeah. very funny, and always been a big fan of hers. And um, but yeah, I mean, I, I I I don't think I've ever had a negative podcast experience. I did. Uh, uh, Emery Emery's uh, uh, atheist. ardent atheist, and yeah. that was fun, and like, and that was a little more challenging because I'm a little bit more of, I, I, I mean, I'm basically an atheist, but I I, I describe myself as a uh, spiritual agnostic. Yes, which means that it's not that I my my thing is that um, how do we know what's really going on in the world? And maybe there's things that I don't understand. Yeah, you want to head your bets. Yeah, with my my current knowledge base, I can't really say that, no, this is the way it is. And they had a little bit of a problem with that, sort of. Yeah, <laughs> when you listen to Emery, he, he definitely, as I said in the review I did for him of his show on Splitsider.com, he's very religious about his atheism. Yeah. <laughs> but that being said, I really did enjoy it. I really, and it was, it was never like... Um, mean or antagonistic it was yeah. it was it was fun and we all had there was a lot of laughter so uh and that's the way those things should be discussed but um what captures your attention in terms of of listening to podcasts because clearly you, you have listened to some maybe they're just the ones you've been on i don't know but um what's your awareness of what sort of the podcast world is well it's almost like it can, i mean I think the the podcast world is a lot like almost like television stations with the sense of some people go with say an interview kind of format like mm -hmm. you know uh, WTF is is very much an interview right. mm -hmm. uh, others are a little bit more of a kind of a round table of people talking and um, and then there are ones where it's like one person like um, the 40 year old boy mm-hmm uh, Mike Schmidt. Yeah, that's all him, and you know, and I'm amazed at that that anybody can do that. Jake Johansson does that as well. Uh, some, uh, yeah, sometimes. Bill Burr. Yeah. yeah, and and to do that, like, and and Greg Proops, mm -hmm. another brilliant podcast. And I I would I think I might have a little bit of trouble doing that. But one of the things I like about the whole podcast thing is being with people and, and hanging out. Hey, we're having fun. It's like. We just got together and had some drinks. Yes. And now we're we're, we're cracking wise. Yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, that is something I'm really impressed with. The person that can just talk for an hour and not get self conscious because I think that that's what might that might happen with me. Hmm. Is it happening now at this moment? I am a little self conscious yet. The fact that I'm getting lost in your eyes <laughs> and well, trust me, you're not alone. <laughs> Uh, let's uh, delve back a little further in terms of what led you to stand-up comedy in the first place and, you know, where did you kind of go, you know what, working in a in an office doing kind of a typical job or whatever might be regarded as typical just wasn't for you anymore. So, so what kind of lured you 
to sort of dip your toe into the comedy waters to start with? Well, I think it was, I've always liked comedy. Again, I wasn't that sophisticated when it came to stand-up, but I always loved, you know, Woody Allen, and I loved just, I love to laugh. I'm a love, I mean, it sounds, it sounds ridiculous, but I'm a laugher. You know sure. me. Oh, I'm yeah. a laugher. You love to laugh. I love to laugh. And I got to a place where I also was really interested in uh, being a filmmaker and went to City College and made a bunch of 16 millimeter films and was thinking of maybe going on to a state college and maybe getting a degree in that. And uh, in the middle of all that, I started to go to open mics because it was, one, it was a really great cheap date. <laughs> it's like the cheapest, most fun theater, you know, you yeah, can take yeah. someone to. So I started to do that, and as I watched the comics, and I'm like, wow, there's a lot of different ways to go about this, and I wonder if I could do that. Because there were times, you know, you're with your friends, you go, yeah, I, I think I was pretty funny there. And so, it, I, after a long period of time, I finally got up the nerve to do it. And even though my, you know, my early sets were atrocious, they, they did pretty well, but like the stuff I was doing, you know, I did impressions. I did, you know, like Jack Nicholson as Jesus and <laughs> just stupid. But um, but the minute you get some laughs, that's it. The drug takes Oh, yeah. yeah. And uh, and I worked at a theater about the time where I started really pursuing stand-up uh, where they um, had, you know, live shows like Cats and mm -hmm. so forth. And being around that, too, also, you kind of... I started to get this thing of like, boy, I would really like a life in the show business. And, and I, I always thought it was possible. And I, so, you know, I just kept hitting it and hitting it and hitting it and working on my sets and refining my act. And I remember the first time somebody, you know, you do these open mics that were free all over the place just to do right, a set. Right, right. And I heard about this one place and I called the guy and I sent him a tape and then he said, okay, uh, you're going to be on this date and it pays $50. And I went, what? That $50? Like, uh, I couldn't believe, like, and the idea that someone would pay $50 That's right. to uh, have me do stand-up was the most incredible thing. And that's when it really, <laughs> that's when yeah. I went, okay, yeah. I think we're onto something here. <laughs> <laughs> You remember the first that first gig, that first paying gig, where it was? I, you know, not. That's I think, funny. I think I'm pretty sure it was for Ed Antanasio. Hmm. Remember him? I vaguely yes. Yeah, a guy that yeah, had yeah. some rooms. Yeah. And, uh, and there were always guys like that that had the. Oh yeah. Like uh, Bob. Uh, Bob Moore. Uh, Bob Moore. That's right. Yeah. The legendary Bob yeah. Moore. <laughs> but um, yeah, you and you do enough of those, and then you know. Some of those gigs are not always the easiest ones work. No, that's it, trial by fire. Oh man, like you're, you're the, the comedy show happens right after the game, and then it or they want to start it like before the game has ended. Yes. Shut up, everybody! We're gonna do comedy now. Hey, everybody! It's Matt Weinhold. Yeah, or the audience. <laughs> the audience is thirty feet away from the stage. Yeah, yeah. Just there's a dance which, floor they can't put the chairs on because it'll it'll mar the surface. Exactly. Right. <laughs> just like and and. And that it's it's sort of on a teeter totter of whether that's a blessing or a curse, because <laughs> at least if they're thirty feet away, they can't attack you <laughs> physically. Because that would happen too. <laughs> yes. But um, but yeah, I mean, when I look back at all that time, and you know, your and the ups and downs of your career, 
uh, it is amazing like that uh, I've been able to support myself pretty much solidly all through that time and and had a great time and I had just I mean it's amazing yeah. I've had some pretty crazy amazing adventures and uh, I wouldn't trade most of them. <laughs> <laughs> what's uh, what's can you think of maybe you know one of the more memorable things that being in the comedy business either somebody you met or something you ended up doing as a result of it it's okay if you can I mean it's a, there, it's, it's it's kind of funny there's comics that are that are amazingly uh, uh, filled with memories I mean accurate memories of the person they played with on this night and sure, where yeah, they went yeah. and, you know and there's other people that just you know what the first 13 years I don't really have a clue I don't even I didn't drink that much but it just wasn't that memorable I Went from gig to gig, did my thing, and that was kind of it. Well, I, you know what I remember? I mean, pivotal things like um, uh, winning the Seattle comedy competition mm -hmm. was like, uh, you know, for a moment. Because I remember also the other thing that I've had to deal with over the years is how, like, my battle with myself mm. and how my low self-esteem that I've had to fight back for years and my own just nervousness or whatever, self-doubt. And, and that plagued me over a lot of years of stand-up, too, in places where I'd go into some club and I'd be freaked out and I'd have to talk myself down. And you would think after a certain amount of years that that would go away, but it was always there. And it was something I've just been able to really uh, come to grips with. Yeah. But during those moments, say, like the Seattle Comedy, comedy Competition, fought with that and then there's the nerves of a competition and right. managed to get get through it and then win it okay. was like a real like okay you're not you got you know you're that little inner demon in your head is wrong yes uh and things like um <laughs> like i think my first tv real tv was the good time cafe oh yeah yeah on kgo yeah with bill rafferty yes yeah and God rest his soul. Yeah, God rest his soul. Yeah. And I did a Star Trek bit where I took off my jacket and I had a Star Trek uniform under it, <laughs> and which I thought was the finally most brilliant able, thing ever. Finally able to write that off. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Every year since. Um, uh, and now I'm an admiral, obviously. But, uh, but I did the show, and then I remember like the next day someone recognizing me. And I was like, yeah, okay, all right, I like the feeling of this. Yeah. But, and then you learn over the years that that's a, it's a teeter-totter, there's that, and then there's the ones where you don't do the, you, you don't do well, and the audience hates you, and you have to do that walk of shame <laughs> from the stage out the door to your car before <laughs> someone yells something at you. And I remember doing a gig, there was this gig that was in um, San Diego, 4th and B, I think it was called, and it's this big building they didn't charge any admission and you just had to buy drinks which is of oh, course right, right yeah the formula down. for disaster and and so they would have a lot of comics on and i think there's a reason why the three comic format works as well as it does mm -hmm. that's what people recognize and that's as much as people can take it's a lot of comedy yeah yeah and but they would do these shows where it'd be like now we're on the fifth comic and everyone's doing a sizable amount of time and I remember I went up and 
and I felt like the crowd had sort of turned a little bit already. It had that sour milk smell. Yeah, it. yeah. Like, hey, quite, will you yeah. Take a whiff of this. Yeah, and it was like the first ten minutes were okay. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, it just turned. Oh. And, and it was like the whole crowd just went, "Wait a minute, <laughs> who are you? We don't like this." <laughs> Did he say something that was defending gay people? <laughs> but so yeah, so I it went worse and worse, and I tried to do deal with the crowd. They were just mean, and, and and so I think the last ten minutes of my set, I just like picked a point on the back of the, you know, back of the room. I just focused on that, like a know. hooker, right? Exactly, <laughs> just exactly. I, I stare yeah, at the, the meta. <laughs> Metaphorical bedpost. <laughs> I just, you know, this will all be over yeah, soon. I, I this just, will all be over yeah. soon. Grip my teeth and think of England. Put the money on the dresser. <laughs> I'll be leaving. Right. <laughs> so then I'm, and I'm the last comic, right? And then the show's done. So then I'm done, and you know, there might have been a smattering of two or three applause, and, and I get off, and I'm like, I got to get out of here because it's there's only one way out, and it's through the hall. It's oh. through the people. Yeah, yeah. And it's a big room, huge. And I'm like almost running through the crowd, and I'm hearing like this just cacophony of voices as I'm going through, like something out of a nightmare. Like, that guy sucked. How did that? that other guy should have been the headliner. I can't believe they would let something out. Like all the way, it's like it's like finally all those little negative voices in my head are now real. Yes. And um, yeah, that was bad. <laughs> The ending of the story is you turned and the room was empty. <laughs> there was never anyone I, there at all. I'm in a night gallery episode. <laughs> <laughs> and it's funny though, like it, and it's 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 interesting of your own psychological health of how I could do a number of sets and have everything go fine and people laugh and show after show and then I go and I do that one and that's the one that sits in my head and just sizzles. Yeah. And I remember doing one at uh, Roosters where I'm doing I'm doing great. Oh, it's going fine. And then like maybe five minutes before uh, the end of my set, some guy just stands up in the front row, turns to the crowd and goes, why are you people laughing? This guy isn't funny at all. Oh my God. And now that should have just been nothing. It's one guy, right? Dad, but, sit down. But that is exactly <laughs> it, right? <laughs> it was like I was like, "Did you just climb out of my head?" <laughs> I, Come back in. This there. is now a Cronenberg movie where I have made my fears real. Oh my god! But yeah, it, it, one thing stand-up does teach you is to deal with that stuff in yeah. one way or another. Friends, if the high cost of air travel is getting you down, then the all-new Henderson's Flying Jotpers should have you as high as the proverbial kite. While these sharp new business casual pants can't actually imbue you with the power of flight, slipping them on is practically the next best thing to getting there, wherever there happens to be. Never again be hassled by a jumbo-sized seatmate or a perfumed matron stinking up your space, or suffer seats that are crammed so close together that they make a body bag look roomy. With Henderson's Flying Jodfers, you get to put the world on hold. 
And by hold, I mean that's where you'll be flying from now on, in the cargo hold. Our patented flyers are specially designed to make air transport superbly comfortable, whether you're in a pet carrier, cardboard box, or wooden crate. With plenty of extra padding, it's like having your own first-class seat. Henderson's custom-fitted flank tanks hold enough breathable oxygen for you to survive a flight from Shanghai to Timbuktu. With the extendable bib and hood lined with 100% genuine alpaca, you'll stay toasty warm no matter how high you happen to fly. And speaking of high, unlike makers of inferior brands of aviation breeches, Henderson's Flying Jodhpurs come with a built-in altimeter, so not only will you be alerted when your air supply starts to run thin, but you'll also know when you've made it into Henderson's exclusive Mile High Club. While most reputable air carriers prohibit passengers from flying in the cargo hold, Henderson's has worked out agreements with the remaining disreputable airlines to welcome aboard anyone sporting a pair of Henderson's Flying Jodhpurs. Originally designed for Amelia Earhart, the Wingwalkers Club of Altoona, Ohio, and Area 51, Henderson's Flying Jodhpurs are available wherever Army and Navy surplus goods are sold. That's Henderson's, makers of fine slacks and loincloths since 1903. And now, back to Suckatash. Thanks, as always, to our friends at Henderson Pants for sponsoring this podcast. If you're interested in being a sponsor, we will kick them out the door, by the way, because their checks never clear. Uh, We'll get back to Matt Weinhold in just a moment, but first, it's time to dip into the Tweet Sack. That's right. Sweet, sweet Tweet Sack. From Rev Zeb Futterman, who we've not heard from in some time, he says, I refuse to listen to the Succotash show. It's filled with vile knock-knock jokes, profanity, and the wet sound of nudity. Repent. <laughs> From Pot Awful, Succotash show is doing the Lord's work. Wow, almost diametrically opposed to Rev Zeb there. From DTBB206, shout out to Seven Days a Geek with Succotash show, the great podcast episode. I will leave you both iTunes reviews today. Thank you very much. That's one of the best tweets I've I've ever twatted. Here are some actual emails. That's right. They came in the email box. Uh, first one, here are a few clips from shows that we run on our station, RadioFubar.com. Feel free to use any, all, or none. Thanks, Frank, a.k.a. Mr. Producer, Station Manager, RadioFubar.com. He sent along four clips from four different shows from Radio Fubar, and uh, I will feature them in a package in episode 54, uh, which is our very next show. So uh, stay tuned for that from them. Thanks for sending those in. Not sure you can use this, Mark, but I hope you can. Keep up the good work, comrade. Booze from Sweet Feathery Jesus. Well, we love the guys at Sweet Feathery Jesus podcast. And uh, we'll also pop that clip into Epi 54 booze. So listen for that, won't you? Uh, This is from uh, one of my friends at the Brit and the American. Uh, It's a little bit bit of a lengthy letter. And it's about a new new endeavor that... uh, he and Alba Lewis are uh, looking to do. So let me read this to you. Hello all, this is Tom and not Spam. I know it's hard to believe because it's so well done, but I wrote this myself. We are getting it done. Our podcast has far exceeded our expectation. Again, that's the Brit and the American. Nearing the end for year one and the support has been top notch. I love what we do and it seems that our fans do too. Now it's time for us to take the next step 
video. We will always keep the audio podcast going, but we like to do a travel show on video. I've talked to some of you about this, and you have convinced me to go on with this new adventure. I have got over 500 clips from our travels so far. I've done all the homework. I now know that it works and know how to get it done. What I need is more time to make this happen. What I'm asking for is your help. I know a lot who receive this are having hard times and money is not an option. I completely understand. What I ask of you is to share our show every week, any time you can, any way you can. Facebook, Twitter, email, word of mouth, any way you can get it out. This is a huge help to us. The Brit in the American is doing so well because of the ones who have shared and keep sharing it. I cannot thank them enough. This is a dream come true for me. I truly love podcasting. I can't wait to start putting video out. This is the link to our dream. A little bit cheesy, but true. Here's the website. Share with your friends. And I gladly do that, Tom. It's uh, thebritintheamerican.com. And there are dashes between all those words. Uh, thebritintheamerican.com. Or just put the name of their show into Google. And you will find your way to them. And help support their efforts. Uh, they do a very entertaining show. And I'd love to see what they can do with video. Hi, Mark. It's Bryce here from the Half Scoop Podcast. We recently introduced a new segment to our show where I have a five to ten minute mini interview with interesting people slash podcast hosts about what got them into podcasting as well as a bit about themselves and was wondering if you would be interested in doing one with me so we could put it on our show. Since we're in Australia, the interview would have to be over Skype, and we would, of course, have plugs in there for Succotash as well as anything else you may have coming up. Looking forward to hearing from you, Bryce. Well, I emailed Bryce back, said I am honored to be interviewed uh, on the Half Scoop, but I'll tell him here right now I'm still honored. So let's uh, work that out, Bryce. Look forward to it. And uh, before we get to the Matt uh, Weinhold interview part two, here are uh, a number of the folks who mentioned Succotash kindly in their tweets this week. The Rigid Fist, Anti-Semantic Show, Barker Podcasts, Penn Gillette, The Wrong Foot, Round Trip, Mark Bland, Mike Klein Jr., Jincy 1950, Too Heavy to Skydive, NASB 1311, Pod Cheese, Sup Dude Podcast, Pat Likes to Tweet, Peaches Hot Sauce, Don't Quit Your Day, WFO Dicks, SFJ.com, Dorktown, Pod Gods, Bo Carter 318, Jim and Don, TOC Pod, Combat Radio, Harry Kurtz, the RVS Podcast, Inverse Delirium, Utter Tosh Pod, CWERadio.com, Mental Poison, The D-Head Factor, Salty Language, Matterific, Tyson Saner, Final Shot 45, and finally, Podcastitude. So thanks very much for talking about us kindly in the Twitterverse, everybody. Let's get back to my chat with Matt Weinhold. Uh, I want to get into a, one topic. I'm not exactly sure what it's going to take us to, so let's just talk about it and see. Uh, and it's something that, that you and I both deal with, which is creating things that aren't immediately servable to anybody. You'll come up with a script, or you'll come up with a concept, and it just kind of sits on your hard drive or in right. a drawer or something. Yeah. Uh, not only if you and I both do this individually, but we have projects like that together. Mm-hmm. Um, and for you, is that frustrating or is it just part of the price of creativity? Yeah. Well, when you look at, when you listen to anybody who, and there are a lot of these stories, but the person who says, you know, there's this hit series or a movie, and you hear the stories, well, we've been trying to sell this thing for the past 15 years. 
And I'm not surprised yeah. because it's not like show business works on the level of like, well, the best thing that comes in is what we're going to make. <laughs> what? Wait a minute. Yeah. What are you saying? Yeah. And so you're dealing with the ego of the person that's looking at it or their comedic sensibility or the thing like, especially if it's anything that's remotely edgy, mm -hmm. that it, it hits someone's soft white underbelly in the place that you never really ever would have thought it would. Yeah. yeah. And so you got to keep that all in mind and... Yeah, it is frustrating because when you write something or you film something or whatever that you think is good, or you do a bit that you think is good and nobody laughs at it, and you're convinced that, like, or you, you've done this bit for certain crowds and it does work, but when you take it on the road, not so much. <laughs> and you got to go, well, is it me? Is it the way I'm delivering it? Or maybe this, this is just the, I've showed, I've showed up at the wrong party. Right, right. And it's the same thing with pitching projects, I think. And a lot of it's timing, that you pitch the same thing three years later, or you, you're at a meeting with someone, and you go, well, I, I had this idea of that. Oh, really? Because yeah. we're looking for something like that. And you hear those stories all the time. And that's the hope. <laughs> right. That's the carrot that is dangled in front of you, that um, nothing, this thing exists. So as long as it exists, there's still a shot. Well, that's also the argument for being in LA for people that don't I mean like you I really enjoy Los Angeles you know uh, I would spend a majority of time here if it wasn't for just situational life itself right you know where my wife is what she's doing that sort of thing um, but there are a lot of people that are down here sort of almost against their will uh, right know, yeah. but you have to uh, because uh, as Overton says this is where the cameras are plugged in this is, you know, <laughs> right. this is where the industry is. Yeah. So if you have that idea you wrote three years ago and put in a drawer, and you're having lunch with a dude who's you know working for a studio or a production company, then yeah, the conversation can come up. Oh, I've got this thing. Mm -hmm. yeah. But that conversation doesn't happen if you're home anywhere else in the entire world, except maybe New York. New York, possibly, maybe, yeah. You know. Um, so so yeah, you're right. You're in the you're in the right town to maximize sort of all your creative efforts, regardless of whether they're active or sort of uh, on hiatus. Yeah. And you've got to be able to, you have to get to a place, too, where you genuinely believe in your talent and your projects. Yes. And if you like it, I think that's really, uh, that should be enough. Yeah. And that, I think you and I both also know people that are the opposite. Instead of juggling a bunch of different projects, is they'll have one thing, and they will just pound that thing into the pavement. No, I, I, I literally you know, know a guy who's been trying to sell the same script for 10 years and won't write anything else because he's convinced this is the script, man, this has to happen. Yeah. And the funny thing is, he could be at the right place at the right time and all of a sudden... Could yeah. be. Well, I, and, that's, and that's also the, 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 wonder, the wonderful part of this business and the... Excuse me. Oh. That was... Uh, I just burped up the previous few minutes of this podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, the, uh, the, uh, the idea that you, can, um, that you can make something or you can be at a party or you can um, be at a certain job and you get through networking, you meet somebody who knows somebody else and next thing you know, you've got a show in the air. I mean that is how it happens, and and that's the 
the wonderful part, and that's also the not-so-wonderful part, because it, it, anyone listening to this, that kind of sounds like it's pure chance. Yeah. But it's also persistence, and it's also you actively trying to sell something and believing in yourself that when you have that moment, hey, now it's time, now it's showtime, let's pitch that idea that we've been sitting on for the past 10 years. Yeah, well, part, I mean, the, if, you, if you look at the formula as being right place, right time, if you're in the right place 100% of the time, the right time part of the formula is going to be the only thing right. you really have to worry about. Yeah. Uh, and you might as well, if you're going to be here, that, that, that is something I don't understand, is, is the is people who are so incredibly bitter about having to live here. It's like, this is not, you're not a, this is not a hellhole, right? right? There's just, there are lovely restaurants and beautiful women and the weather's nice. The weather's nice and there's lots of nice stores and you can, there's a million <laughs> things to do. It could be a lot worse. Yeah. And, um, and I've been to those places. <laughs> you know, you're not, you're not, uh, yeah, I won't even go. <laughs> um, it's time now to, to get into Suck Dash Sports Corner. You're a big sports fanatic. Let's As talk, you know. Let's talk, no, there is no sports corner. I hate <laughs> sports. I would never talk about them. I was looking forward to that. I thought we were going to talk rollerball, Quidditch. Um, I, I like to talk about things that the, so the podcast, the, the podcaster listeners, uh, you know, think about, mull about, uh, which is, you know, what are the unplumbed areas for podcasting? You've mentioned a number of different sort of formats that people follow. The sort of I'm a guy talking, you know, by myself. Uh, we're a group of guys talking about things. We're doing live sketches. We're doing improv. We're doing these different things. Um, what sort of? And this is just total speculation, so maybe it doesn't go anywhere. But what what sort of things could you imagine doing podcasts about that, as far as you're aware, nobody's kind of tapped at this point. So it's sort of infinite well, in a way. That's kind of a hard question to answer because you could almost say the same thing about um, just audio in general. Mm -hmm. Like if you, you could play music, you can listen to a book, you can listen to a play. It, um, and, and what I like, the things that I like are the ones that... What I love about Dana's show, for example, is the idea... I haven't... It's not like I listen to every podcast that's out there, but what I do like is that it's a mixture of a bunch of things. And I thought, hey, that's kind of fun. Um, you know, you, you get the best of almost every world. And I'd like to see some more of that kind of stuff. And um, I, I guess I know that, like, here we are, we're out at the coffee place, maybe having more things done, like, just off the cuff, as opposed to we have to sit down and make sure all our levels are correct and right, all that. Right. Something a little more gorilla. Yeah. But um, I'm not going to do it. <laughs> as you know, my feelings about people. <laughs> I'm much happier in the safe environment. Of, uh, Your action figure womb. Exactly. <laughs> um, I believe what I'm doing with... I don't have a podcast, but I have this YouTube show. Mm-hmm. That uh, we've only done a couple episodes. Yeah, let's talk about. It. Um, but the plan is to also make it into a podcast. It's called. It's called Monster Party. And the idea behind it is, well, the genesis of this thing was we, um, some friends and I would go to Comic Con every year, and after the day was over, we'd end up at someone's hotel room, and we'd all 
start drinking and arguing about sci-fi and horror. The only convention where something like that would happen, everything else that story would end with fucking. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Any other convention in the world. Which you might have stumbled upon the next wave of podcasts. <laughs> Audio porn. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, um, yeah, Monster Party, none of that. Believe me. <laughs> so uh, you guys are arguing about sci-fi. And so we and thought... Drinking. And drinking. Yeah. Not arguing about drinking, just drinking just, and arguing. Yeah. yeah. Arguing in a good way. Yeah. And a, no, nothing personal. Yeah, friendly fire. Until it gets personal. <laughs> and uh, and it was and just this group of people, uh, everybody had like their little field of expertise. My friends really into Godzilla, and it was all like, encyclopedic knowledge of seventies TV horror films, and just and um, we have this friend Larry who gets really passionate, and so we're usually you know butting heads, and it was always a good time. So. We did this show, and we did a couple episodes, and it's pretty close, but we recreated that environment perfectly, including the drinking. Okay. And it's interesting to see um, when you watch it later. And it's on YouTube. Yeah. There's a couple episodes. Okay, yeah, so like, I, who, who's starting to get, oh, you are starting to actually get drunk. Oh, okay. All right, well, you know what? I'm going to pull down a little bit of that uh, as an audio, and we'll play that right, right here in our interview right now. Okay. Godzilla versus Gamera, who wins? Oh, oh hands shit. down. Hands down. Godzilla would kick Gamera's ass. Why? Sorry. Why? Well, uh, Godzilla has that atomic breath, and Gamera's like sp spinning. He's like, a, he's like a floating target. Okay, I think it'd be easy, especially if you had Godzilla from GMK, who's a badass monster. If, well, and he didn't, he didn't. You're care qualifying, about but yes, I would agree with that. Mm -hmm. That Godzilla is a badass. He's a badass. But. Are you talking like Godzilla from 1960? Like, like yeah, no. from Godzilla's Revenge? Yeah, you know, we're talking Godzilla yeah, from classic, the time of yeah, like Gamera. Mm -hmm. yeah. I think it might be Gamera. Because Gamera could get his, like, he he could get, like, a spike in his eye. And then a minute later, <laughs> yeah, he's like, dun-da-da, Gamera. Yeah. Yeah, he he I, definitely have, he's more mobile, though. He can and he can fly. fly. Yeah. He can fly. <laughs> Although, well, Godzilla can fly, too. Godzilla is capable of kind flying. Of. Yeah, he can kind of fly. There is this great scene, you know, in, uh, actually in Godzilla vs. Smog Monster, while Godzilla does this. He goes, <laughs> and uses his, he uses uses his, his breath to kind of and to propel, kind of propel himself. himself. Yeah. Like this. So You weren't expecting, right, exactly when you're watching that movie. He can no. fly. Yeah. He may not be but, graceful. Uh, not for very long. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That is, no, man, I... I to say that God damn it. No, no. Listen. To say that Gamera... I hate having this argument could, every time. We always... You know, it always comes down to the same thing. I, I just don't... You know, Gamera... You know, okay, if Gamera can fly and Gamera's more mobile... Oh, he's mobile. But it's a freaking Why is he mocking mobility? He, he's mobile, man, but he can't... He can't... I mean, he has, Godzilla has breath atomic too, breath, well, though. But, but Gamera, has, Gamera has a breath. But it's yeah. not as strong yeah, as Godzilla. Sometimes you got to look at the statistics, okay? How many okay. people did Godzilla okay. kill? Listen, listen, How many people I'm going to go to my numbers, guys. Listen, okay. <laughs> Gamera, in any movie he's ever made, has never lost. Godzilla? Uh... You know what? Ha! You know what? It's because he doesn't care. He doesn't care. Because he's an anti-hero. He, he just he walks, walk anti away into the sea. But Gamera yeah. always emerged victorious. So Gamera, statistically, yes. I think right. Gamera would win. Gamera closes um, the deal. I, I, I'm Maybe sorry, someday I we'll see a film where they do put the two together. I don't know if that will ever happen. Mmm. 
And so now do we do the wraparound? Now do we pretend that we just heard it? Exactly. <laughs> You're right. That was pretty entertaining, it wasn't was, it? It was. How do we get that here in the coffee shop? That's, they have free Wi-Fi, that's how. <laughs> so what, what will the format... I guess it'll be the same it'll sort the same of format thing. for podcasts. So yeah, I don't know how much um, alcohol-fueled podcasting there is. Oh, but I'm maybe, sure there's tons Maybe there. that's going to be the next wave. Uh, if you listen to, to what you referred to as guys sitting around talking, and I call these shooting the shit shows, those are heavily fueled by alcohol, where the guys are sitting around just spitballing stuff out of the newspaper. Newspaper used to be a thing that people would publish literally on... Never mind. Uh, no, uh, I don't know. The news. Let's just call it the news. Oh, the, oh, it's that paper that I use to put under my garage kits when I'm painting them yes. to make sure that the paint doesn't get yeah, on the table? That's right. That's okay. right. Yeah. The, the, you can actually read the words on that, and it will tell you things that are going on in the world a week ago. <laughs> uh, I just It doesn't sound like it's going to work. It was a crazy time. Um, so will you sort of dual purpose and continue to do the YouTube version and then just make that an audio offering? Or I'd like to do, I would like it to be both. That the only thing, originally the person we were working with was saying like, you know, the idea of creating a YouTube star is, is uh, there's more, to, there's more opportunities with that. I don't know if that's necessarily true, but, um, but he provided all this equipment, and we're like, okay. And then it also allowed us, you know, we decorate our set with all our stuff. So there is a cool visual quality to that. But, and we would bring on things, like we did one episode that isn't up yet, but about, like, our favorite books and records and um, and our memories of it. And um, and that, you know, that helps with the, the visual aid. But... I, ultimately, I don't think we necessarily need to even do that. Right? Ultimately, it is just a bunch of guys just talking. Yeah. And so I think the idea would be to just make it so um, we don't get too too visual. Right, right. But if you watch the YouTube thing, there is stuff. And there's the eye candy that I like to call Matt Weinhold. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, uh, that's you're, now you're also ear candy. By the way, <laughs> your mellifluous tones uh, will draw listeners literally to this podcast without even knowing what they're going to be hearing. I don't think that you should make fun of the people who genuinely suffer from ear candy. Um, I, I didn't realize it was a condition. Yes, uh, it's when the waxy buildup in your ear <laughs> crystallizes and becomes a hard candy. That's delicious. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens is then old ladies remove it and then keep it in their purses until it gathers lint and then they offer it to a small child. <laughs> well then my apologies to the uh, the ear candy sufferers of the world. Uh, it seems like the, the concept of your monster party uh, cast, whether it be visual, visual or audio, uh, certainly invites interaction from the audience uh, via comments and things like that. Sure. Obviously, they're going to have their own polarized oh, yeah. reaction to what's going on. And we would like to have, we're not at this point yet, but we'd love to have guests. And um, we were th even thinking of maybe having a bartender okay. as part of it. And uh, but I would like to audition for that part. Okay, all right. Hired. <laughs> See how easy that was? Wow, I'm going to move. Yeah. I am moving back to Los Angeles. <laughs> Damn, this is simple. Yeah. Imagine if all 
show business transactions went like this. Yeah. I would like to be the commander of the Enterprise on the next yeah. Star Trek movie. Done. I actually have had show business uh, transactions work that way, but then it's always later. The <laughs> thing regret. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh yeah. Hey, listen. I've I've had moments like that when I was uh, writing on a short-lived game show for uh, Merv Griffin Productions mm. uh, that uh, the amazing Jonathan was the host of okay. a little, little show called Ruckus, uh, which you can still find clips of on YouTube. Uh, but <laughs> which is my porn name, by he, the way. He brought me in as a, to be a writer on the show because I knew him and you know we had a good working relationship from his time in San Francisco. and So he brought me in and introduced me to the producer and uh, we started staffing the show up and Merv Griffin came in to see how things were going, and I was introduced as the head writer, much to my surprise. Wow. And I asked the producer after Merv left, I said, why am I the head writer? He says, because you're the first one who came in. <laughs> I said, oh, excellent. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I would, I, if all jobs were yeah. like whoever got there first. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That's right. And then, of course, the childish games that spring up. Last one takes the first one's place. I'm rubber, you're glue. <laughs> <laughs> See, and that's what the, that's what the, uh, the grip on the, the set of uh, Batman when Christian Bale balled him out. Remember that? Oh, sure, story? yeah. See, yeah. had that I'm rubber, you're glue thing. <laughs> hey. Hey, Christian, what if you act right now? <laughs> What if you pretended that I'm not here? Milk, milk, lemon, right? Yeah. <laughs> Lemonade around the corner fudges me. <laughs> that would be a different show business. But that, the key to all this, though, is like, and I, I also think that that's why podcasts have just grown in leaps and bounds is that it's, again, it's not, you're not doing show business where you have to uh, necessarily, um, you know, go by the rules of somebody else as if you're auditioning for a show. This is your thing. It's homegrown. It's whatever you want it to be. And, and I think that's what everyone's dream is here is to, is to have, you know, get paid for the thing that you love. Yeah. And for the most part, it has been that way for me. That's the, I mean, that is the dream, right? Just get paid for things you enjoy doing, which is why I do the podcast, by the way. I do the podcast because yeah. I get enjoyed being paid for the things I love. Yeah, uh, and uh, that hasn't happened yet. <laughs> so what's what's your? How about you? What's your big? Uh, what? How would you describe yourself in uh, in the creative terms of of what? The a producer, a director, a. Uh, um, I. I kind of do everything uh, based on the level of what the thing is. I mean, you know, I'm the executive producer of this this little show. Um, but I, you know, in Hollywood terms, I'm a writer. Focus on being a writer, and that's kind of what I do. Um, Hollywood being writers, I believe that woman was the head makeup artist on my Hallmark movies. Wow, should we bring her in? I just, I can't. It's been a while, so I can't be sure that's her. But I think she, I, that's her. That's weird. See, it's this town. That's weird, isn't it? This could be her break or yours, depending on who's paying you know, for this. I'm going to look at my phone and see if it's her. Not that my phone knows that, but I can't remember her name. Um, but anyway, uh, I, I'm fascinated by your question because uh, I don't. Sometimes I don't know how to answer it because uh, I do. I do do different things based on the project. Yeah. 
Well, what I hope to get happening someday is that we're basically having your own little version of the Mercury Theater where you, you get all your friends together and you make movies or projects and they're all done out of love, not because maybe this will sell. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, again, based on based on the project, I'm also willing to give up certain positions. You know, some idea I want to get made, I'm willing to take a back seat sometimes just to see the thing get made. Well, also too, if if it's if somebody comes in and they look at your script and they have better jokes or whatever, I mean, my view is like it's let the let let comedy win. Oh yeah, you know. Yeah, right. Let comedy be the, the king. And, and so many times in in Hollywood, it isn't. Comedy loses. Yeah, because of the fragile ego that you have to deal with yeah. to get this thing made, or the just the levels of people who have to just justify themselves in the, the higher the corporate process. Yeah. And there's time, there's a lot of movie like I, it's funny, but like the movie. Prometheus, yes. which is such a giant turd, <laughs> and that you that you know there was that guy Damon Lindelof who was a writer on there and he lost mm -hmm. and, and I just can't. These are like professional writers that seem to know what they're doing, and and I, and I can't believe that they would that they didn't think that this sucked too and that like it ha like I'd love to talk to them and go like this had to have gone through some stages where this was absolutely no longer your script right 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 no I mean it's uh, it kind of doesn't matter what level you're at you know um, I worked with Dana Carvey on a very early version of uh, what became the master of disguise mm -hmm. which you know was something that he completely ended up having to take a back seat on any control over you know, there's the studio, the director, and all these people, and it's like, at some point, he just kind of said, I kind of had to give up because it wasn't worth fighting the battles because I wasn't going to win. But yet, it seems that whenever anyone lets the creative person kind of spearhead it, you get things like Breaking Bad, and Louis C.K. Yeah, Louis C.K. And so, wouldn't you want to go with what sells at the end or what becomes popular? You think so, but I think I think the ninety percent of the the forces that drive in Hollywood they want to be the next Breaking Bad. That, that to them that doesn't mean let's find the next original thing. It's like no, let's be the next Breaking Bad. Yeah, right. And whatever they did, <laughs> we're gonna do. Except we're gonna change one thing so we can't get sued. But right. Yeah. Breaking Good. Can we do Breaking Good? How about a teacher who actually? He, how about a? I got it. A guy who makes meth who becomes a high school teacher and cleans up his life. <laughs> That'll be fascinating, right? What was the Howard Hesman? WKRP. No, the other one where he's a teacher or whatever. Oh, or yeah. What was that called? Though? Head of the class head of the or something? Class, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like reverse head of the class. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'll get the meetings. I've depressed myself now. <laughs> Don't do that. I'm kidding. I can't be depressed on you. Well, no. Climb up on my lap and... <laughs> Let's shut this thing down. I love this town. <laughs> <laughs> what is uh, what is something that you would love to hear somebody talk about that just people don't talk about? 
for whatever reason, because uh, it's politically incorrect, or not that I'll play it, but <laughs> I'd like to have the option to. Wow, I like that. You know, well, I would, uh, I hate to say this, but um, it's kind of like the show, the, our Monster Party show. Okay. I, the reason why I personally enjoy doing that show is because we're talking about things that are often so obscure. I don't know how big of an audience there is for it, but there's got to be a, a legion of, you know, hardcore nerds that like, you know, the bringing up some movie like, you know, we talked in depth about uh, Godzilla versus the Smog Monster. <laughs> And how much we love that monster. And when I am flipping through the channels and I'm looking at late night talk shows, no one brings up Godzilla versus the Smog Monster yeah. too often, or as he's known in Japan, Edera. Hmm. But uh, and then you know, and like, so how many Hedera action figures do you have? Oh well, I have four, and I have that. We all are obsessed with Hedera. That's funny. One of the other things I think about about Hollywood as a as an industry is the mercurial nature to it. That you may set your sights on something, and by the time your guns are loaded and you're ready to fire, the target has moved. Well, yeah, and that how or you'll have some idea, and then you'll see somebody do something that's similar, and yours is the you. You know, you're convinced yours is the better one, but that's the one that got on the air and flopped. Yes. So that's you done for the next ten years. That's right. With that idea. Yeah, yeah. No, that's always very disappointing. You know, particularly I'm a huge time travel buff, and so every time a movie comes out that doesn't work, you go, "Oh, great!" So that's that's dead for a while. But I mean, can you imagine? Could you imagine pitching like The Walking Dead fifteen years ago? And that, that, I mean, they would just laugh at you. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no one wants to see that. Are you kidding me? A show about zombies. And it's just, it's just funny how things change. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, and I really do believe that, like, I, I've seen some good movies over the past few years. A handful in the theater. Yeah. But it really, truly is the golden age of television. Yeah, I mean, look at Breaking Bad. Yeah. Which, you know, hands down, is one of the best shows that's ever been yeah. on TV. The fact that The Wire, you know, was yeah. a show. Yeah, yeah. And, um, and I mean, yeah, Mad Men and, uh, and Walking Dead for when it's good. Up all night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Good times. UFC. I mean, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I just, I, television is so great, especially when it comes to sci fi projects. There are so many great science fiction shows on that. I mean, the fact that Doctor Who is now something cool. Yeah. I never thought that was going to happen. <laughs> uh, I don't know how many times walking down the hallways of my high school someone would trip me by grabbing my long scarf <laughs> boy if you could see those people now yeah yeah they're noticeable by their absence mm -hmm. absence yeah yeah absinthe you're drinking absinthe 
Maybe I should. I can't think of anything else to spe specifically talk about. All right. Uh, we don't want to. So let's just put a cork in this for now. And we'll let it age. Let it age. Fine wine. And then I'll decant it into the podcaster's ears. So from, from a coffee fix in Studio City, that's uh, been our chat with Matt Weinhold. I want to thank Matt Weinhold for uh, putting aside the time to chat with us. Uh, he's always a breath of fresh air. Um, and uh, looking forward to see what he and his crew do with the Monster Party podcast. And I was serious. Uh, if, if they'll have me, I'll be the bartender on the damn thing. Uh, it would be a, a thrill and a delight. Um, anyway, if you want to find out more about Matt, go to mattweinhold.com. He's uh, all over the place doing all kinds of stuff. Like he says, he's getting back into the comedy thing, so he'll be around L.A., and if I know him, he'll be tapping back into his sources in San Francisco, so uh, look out for him, won't you? Let's go now to our Burst O'Durst with our friend Will Durst. Hey, guys. Will Durst here with a few choice words about a new study that says we baby boomers are about to redefine retirement. Yeah, mainly because none of us will be able to afford to retire. You want lids on these? One way or a huge demographic bulge can alter old age is by changing what we call it. From now on, our condition should be known as extreme maturity. No sense belaboring the negative. Time to focus on the upside. We're not old. We're vintage, classic, enduring, established, persistent, time-tested, seasoned, steadfast, reputable, reliable, rare. We may not be as fast as we once were to escape trouble when it rears its ugly head, but we have gained the ability to recognize the approach of trouble and avoid it. So here we go with a couple of more examples of the bright side of extreme maturity. Still doing drugs, only now there's a copay. Can always claim the boundaries and your hearing aid are going bad, even when you don't wear a hearing aid. Those creaks in your bones keep you alert while driving. You don't really ever expect anybody to tell you the actual truth anymore. Much less peer pressure, and it lessens every day. On spy missions, those liver spots provide the perfect cover to hide microdots. Just saying, irritable bowel syndrome annoys young people enough that they will go away. Getting up to pee three times a night turns out to be a very effective means of home security. Obamacare totally covers Alzheimer's, dude. Always at least one ear hair so long and thick you could cut cheese with it. The mantra, don't trust anybody over 30, still applies, and now it includes your kids. Much easier to dress for funerals than it is for weddings, and they're usually shorter, too. Obamacare totally covers Alzheimer's, dude. And finally, in a pinch, your nipple rings can double as belt loops. For Succotash, the podcast of comedy podcasts, I'm Will Durst. I really appreciate Will sending in those clips every week. Uh, it's, uh, it's a treat to be able to play them. If you'd like to get more Durst, you'll find him at willdurst.com. That's D-U-R-S-T, willdurst.com. And also, he is frequently tweetering on Twitter. Twitter, Twittering on twi Twitter. Tweet. Uh, find him at Will Durst over there on Twitter. All right. Well, I guess that's going to pretty much do it this time. Um, as I like to say, if you have a comedy podcast that you've not heard on here, and uh, we had no clips this week except uh, those that were sort of uh, part and parcel of what we were doing and talking about with Matt Weinhold, uh, please 
send along uh, the name of the podcast you're you're thinking about to me, Mark, M-A-R-C, at SuccotashShow.com, and I will give it a listen. If you are a comedy podcaster and would like to hear your podcast on the show, it's as easy as slicing, us, uh, slicing off a three to five minute slice, either MP3 or a WAV file. Send that along to clips at SuccotashShow.com. We'll get it on the show. You can also always call into the Succotash hotline at 818-921-7212. Leave us a message uh, about a podcast or about podcasting or just want to say hi or spew out some sort of random noise. I'll, I'll play it on the show. We're, we're always looking to fill up time. Please like us on Facebook, rate and review us on iTunes, thumbs up us on Stitcher, and retweet us at Succotash Show. Okay, I'm going to get out of here. But instead of playing a succotash recipe after Bill Haywatt's done his goodbye thing, I want you to enjoy some original humorous tunage from friend of succotash Chet Haas and his timely song parody entitled Papal Rain. Weird Al, eat your heart out. And you, please remember to pass the succotash. You've been listening to Succotash, the comedy podcast podcast with your host, Mark Hershon. Brought to you by Henderson's Pants. And imagine your company's name right here. Find us on the web at SuccotashShow.com or at Suckatash Show on iTunes. And even at Suckatash Show on your smartphone Stitcher app. Follow Suckatash on Twitter at Suckatash Show. Friend Suckatash on Facebook. Email us at marc at SuckatashShow.com or just pick up that phone and give Suckatash a ring at 1-818-921-7212. Suckatash is produced and engineered by Joe Paulino at Studio P. Sausalito, home of the hit. Our musical director is Scott Carvey. Our booth assistant is Kenny Durges. Until next time, I'm your loyal booth announcer, Bill Haywatt, reminding you to please pass the succotash.
with the church times are changing. someone new that means me too and you say you say you want a leader but you can't seem to make up your mind I think you better do a conclave and then a new cardinal take the papal rain papal rain papal rain Papal rain, papal rain. 